Hello and welcome to the research podcast from Georgia State University. You can find this episode wherever you find podcasts. In each episode, we will highlight interesting and innovative research happening at Georgia State and feature a different faculty member and a different topic each month, so you can learn more about research taking place across the university. I'm Jennifer Rainey Marquez, your host and Associate Director of Research Communications at Georgia State. My guest in this episode is Dr. Dominic Perrot, Professor of Psychology and Director of the Center for Research on Interpersonal Violence. Under the leadership of Dr. Parat, the center works to collaboratively address the causes, effects, treatment, and prevention of all types of violence, including domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. Today, we're going to chat about his research on the intersection of violence and alcohol. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, um... The idea that there's a connection between alcohol and violent behavior is not entirely surprising. Everybody can think of stereotypical angry drunk, but does drinking truly cause violent behavior? I can say unequivocally, yes, it does. Um, uh, There has been decades of research to show that alcohol is one contributing cause of violence, Uh, but Alcohol affects everybody differently. Um, The same person may drink on Friday night and become aggressive and drink on Saturday night and not become aggressive. Uh, Some people tend to become aggressive more and they drink, other people don't. So it's really a complex association uh, between alcohol and violence. One thing you said to me when we spoke earlier that I thought was interesting is this idea that alcohol can sometimes make it almost Mm -hmm. like you have blinders on or like you're looking at action on a stage in front of you. Yeah. We call this alcohol myopia. uh, And this was a theory uh, uh, advanced a couple of decades ago. And the way I like to explain it is to kind of imagine you're in the Fox Theater. And if if you're sober, uh, it's as if that, this is a metaphor, of course, but the house lights are on. You can see everything from stage left to right and all around you. Uh, and process all of that information. But if you're drunk, it's as if the house lights are off and the spotlight is just on a small part of center stage. Uh, And the key here is, what is it that you see when you're drunk? What are you attending to? If those cues are very uh, provocatory or would instigate aggression, then aggression is going to be more likely. But if those cues... uh, uh, relate to feeling sad or feeling happy, uh, then you would kind of feel those emotions in behaviors that would result from those emotions. So essentially in typically provoking situations, for instance, if couples are in conflict, um, uh, when people are drunk, they're more likely to focus on those conflict-related cues, and so aggression become can become more likely. And they're less likely to be focusing on... Uh, Uh, cues that would inhibit aggression, like maybe I'll lose my kids, or maybe the cops will come, or maybe this could ruin the relationship that I value. So let's also talk about victims and how alcohol can affect them. Um, I've read experts who have said that young women who drink heavily, particularly at the beginning of college, are in a so-called red zone of danger. What exactly does that mean? So the, the red zone is that period of time from when a college freshman comes to campus uh, through Thanksgiving. 
and evidence has shown that this is when uh, uh, female freshmen uh, are most likely to be sexually victimized. And so this is a real f- phenomenon yeah. in terms of wh- why is it that that, that happens at that point? Well, th- there's, there's a number of reasons, uh, but you have uh, all new relationships, new groups you're running with. Um, uh, oftentimes uh, students have these new freedoms, right, and they may be uh, uh, going into situations where they're drinking or not knowing how much they can drink. And, of course, drinking isn't the only cause uh, 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 for this um, phenomenon, um, but there's just a lot of changes mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in new experiences, and um, and that's kind of part of what explains this. Right. Um, so as we've mentioned, alcohol can affect the behavior of potential perpetrators of violence. It can also impact potential victims, but you also focus a lot of your work on bystanders. Right. Um, how important are bystanders in these types of interactions? Well, in, they're really important. Uh, in the past uh, 10 or 20 years, there's really been a paradigm shift in how we are focusing on sexual violence prevention. In the past, we would focus either on perpetrators to get them to stop or uh, uh, victims to try to prevent re-victimization. Um, uh, but there's been limited effectiveness um, in, in in this area. Uh, the paradigm shift to focus on bystanders really takes advantage of all the people who are oftentimes in these situations. Uh, we did a study where we surveyed uh, female victims of sexual assault, and they reported that in situations where bystanders are present, about 80% of them were drinking. Um, so for me, this uh, led to the need to really want to focus on how's alcohol affecting bystanders in these risk risk situations. So this is interesting because given all of this, it's no wonder, as you said, that violence prevention education can focus on getting people to stop drinking. But you say that we need to know more about how to help people protect themselves and others while they're drunk. So why, why do we need to sort of refocus how we're speaking to people when it comes to prevention education? Yeah, because you know, many situations where sec- at-risk sec- sexual assault situations occur involve alcohol, whether the bystander is drinking or they're in an alcohol-related context like a house party or a bar. Uh, and the current prevention program that's out there which has good evidence behind it uh, to support it, um, uh, doesn't really focus on how alcohol can affect the bystander. It may focus on uh, the fact that alcohol may be involved, but it doesn't tell students and anyone that alcohol can narrow your attention, as we were talking about earlier, or how it can function to serve as a barrier in the decision-making process uh, to intervene pro-socially to help a a potential victim. Uh, And so I think focusing on educating uh, potential bystanders about alcohol's effects can make them better prepared, Uh, inclusive of reminding them, well, maybe you you shouldn't drink as much or you shouldn't drink at all so that you can be that kind of safe friend or that um, uh, person most able 
uh, to intervene and to be able to kind of read the cues in the situation. Right. And you're not going to get everybody to stop drinking. No. No. <laughs> no. Um, and I'm also interested, you had mentioned something called inhibitory cues right. that can reduce um, violent behavior or lower hostility mm-hmm. even while someone is drinking. What yeah. are some of those, cue- would some of those cues be? Yeah, and um, if I can, I want to back up for a second and say that my lab and others have done studies to show that when people are drunk uh, and have an opportunity to be aggressive, that if you distract them from those provoking cues or you refocus them on more inhibitory cues, which in the lab tend to be uh, just uh, cues that are incompatible with violence or being more self-aware of of yourself, uh, that those intoxicated people are far less aggressive than intoxicated people who you haven't distracted or you haven't refocused on these inhibitory cues. So in the lab, we've shown that we can actually that alcohol can actually reduce violence in a sense uh, because these intoxicated people who are focused on these inhibitory cues are oftentimes a bit less aggressive than even sober people. Um, because there's, again, they've because, got those blinders on and they, they kind of laser focus in on and them? And they're laser focused in on those inhibitory cues, exactly. Um, now in the real world, I think this gets at your question, what would those inhibitory cues be? Uh, they could be a number of things. And, you know, to be clear, we haven't done the studies in more naturalistic settings. So right now it's all kind of uh, in theory. Uh, but, you know, imagine if someone's wearing a Fitbit that could detect whether they have alcohol in their system. And as soon as they go over 0.03 or 0.04, they get a, a buzz on their Fitbit or a push notification to their iPhone that gives them some inhibitory message that's kind of personalized to them, such as, think about your kids, or you don't want to go to jail, uh, or you know you value your relationship. Suddenly, they're now focused on these inhibitory messages that are meaningful for them, and you've essentially redirected attention in a naturalistic, real-time sort of way. Um, and what about examples of successful or effective ways that bystanders can intervene even if they are drinking? Well, there's a range of ways that bystanders can intervene, whether they're drinking or not. Um, and every situation is different. Um, you know, people can respond and intervene in a direct way. Um, so if there was a, a two people kind of on the dance floor and uh, you kind of perceive that, you know, one person's kind of at risk uh, of harm from the other, you could kind of directly confront them. Um, but you can do it in kind of different ways. You can be distracting, etc. You can also use indirect methods by maybe finding someone else who can help. Um, so there, there are a range of ways. Uh, um, when people, again, when people are drinking alcohol, when those bystanders, I'm sorry, are drinking alcohol, we want them to be more educated about what cues they might miss. Uh, for instance, when you're drinking, you might think, oh, they're, they're having fun. You know, they're drinking too. Uh, so they must want to be dancing like that. Whereas a sober person, because alcohol can make you kind of misperceive those risk cues. Uh, whereas if we prepare people for that, they might kind of think more closely. Or maybe they'll say, well, I can't tell, but I, I'm drinking. So maybe I should go find someone else who could kind of better judge whether or not that person needs help. It's almost like you're helping them interpret consent as it's happening in real time it's it's really difficult it's difficult for sober people 
to do at, at times, and so it's particularly difficult when people are drinking. Um, but again, because so much of these risky situations happen when in alcohol contexts or when people are drinking, are drinking, it's really important that we try to address that head on in intervention programs. So I'm really interested in how your research group is going to be utilizing virtual reality to study some of those things. Can you talk about how you're going to be using this technology? Sure. Um, with some colleagues at the University of Nebraska uh, who developed a, a virtual reality paradigm of a, of a virtual house party, um, we'll be able to have an individual or a participant in a research study kind of immerse themselves in this 3D environment of, of walking into a house party where they interact with different people along the way. And some of the interactions they have will be, be risky, uh, where maybe there's misogynistic jokes being told, which is kind of on the one end of the sexual violence continuum, to the end of the house party when they get towards the end where a man's actually starting to kind of... Uh, uh, force himself uh, on a female who uh, just kind of wants to be left alone. Uh, in each of these situations, they, the, the participant can talk about what they would want to do, uh, and, and not from a third-person perspective, but actually in the first person kind of interacting with the virtual avatars. And in this way, we can assess, uh, do people intervene or not? And if they do, what are they saying? What are they trying to do in that environment? Um, and kind of consistent with what we've been talking about, we are really interested in how participants navigate that virtual house party when they're drunk versus when they're sober. Um, we think that when they're drunk, on average, they'll be less likely to intervene, that they'll be inhibited at various steps along the way. Um, but that's also part of the, the project that we're uh, getting ready to embark on, where uh, we will uh, have participants, uh, before this virtual reality paradigm, have them engage in an evidence-based intervention to promote bystander intervention. Uh, Laura Salazar in the School of Public Health developed real consent, which has been shown to be effective to promote bystander intervention. And this is like a... Edu preventive education it, it, kind of program. Yeah, it's a web-based intervention. Um, and we're going to develop new modules to uh, augment that existing intervention. We're going to call it Real Consent 2.0. And the new modules will be teaching people how alcohol could affect them in a bystander situation. And so what we hope to find is that even when people are drinking alcohol, in that virtual environment, if they receive the augmented intervention, they're going to be more pro-social, effective bystanders than had they not. Um, essentially, trying to show that hey, we can we can tailor interventions to even help people be better bystanders when they're drinking. And I would imagine, with this being so immersive and um, really making you feel like you're in the situation. Mm -hmm. It could also maybe make people like a dry run for situations you might encounter in real life. Like maybe you'll be right. feel more comfortable after you go through this experience. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, while we're not, we don't have any uh, immediate plans to do this. Our, our, our colleagues at Nebraska have talked about the idea of, you know, not just using this virtual experience to assess whether people will intervene, but actually, like you said, use it as that dry run and then talk about missed opportunities or 
you know, what happened there or what didn't happen in this other situation. So people can learn and understand, you know, what they missed or why they did what they did or why they didn't do what they didn't do um, uh, as a learning experience. Do you hope to um, utilize this research to make universities better equipped to um, train their students or prepare their students for what they're likely to encounter in these kinds of situations? And that's, I mean, mm-hmm. what, what's the next focus here? I mean, th- that's the ultimate goal. Um, you know, over the past several years, uh, particularly as colleges and universities uh, had to um, implement these sexual uh, uh, violence prevention programs, um, it was just clear as I was talking to some administrators here at Georgia State a number of years ago that th- there's absolutely no evidence in the programs being disseminated uh, and that students at Georgia State and other colleges and universities around the country are using that there's no evidence that these programs are going to work when people are drinking. Um, now, there's no evidence that they won't work. It's just we don't know. Uh, and that's because there was really zero research on this topic. Um, a couple of years ago, I think there might have been two published studies, um, but not designed in any way to determine kind of causal effects of whether bystander or whether alcohol is actually inhibiting bystander behavior. Well, great. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing you. your work. This has been the research podcast from Georgia State University featuring Dr. Dominic Parat, professor of psychology and the director of the university's Center for Research on Interpersonal Violence. You can read more about the center's work in the newest issue of the Georgia State University Research Magazine, available online at researchmagazine.gsu.edu. And for more conversations about research taking place across Georgia State, Look for the research podcasts wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes.